The gospel lesson comes to us this morning from Luke's gospel, chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. Let me just remind you, this is God's word to us. It's given to us because he loves us. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be the great, he will be great, and he will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month, with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is the gospel of our Lord. Let me pray for us before we dive into our sermon text today. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we do ask that you would speak to us this morning uh, because we do need the Christ to enter in, to descend upon us, we pray to our hearts to assure us of your love and your grace and your mercy in a world of sin and darkness. We do pray that through your voice we would see your light, which is the life of man. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So Scott Erickson uh, is an artist and author, and he uh, wrote this book called Honest Advent. And the first chapter is on this passage today uh, that we read earlier from Luke chapter 1. And he poses this question, how great would it be to receive divine annunciation. How great would it be if an angel showed up to you and said, hey, this is how it's all going to play out. This is what's going to happen. And maybe your response would be like, yes, lay it on me. Let's go. Tell me how it's all going to work out. Tell me how everything is going to go. Or would it? Would it be so great if you were to receive divine revelation from an angel from the Lord? Because I'm actually not so sure. Because you see, whenever in the Bible, in God's story, uh, God's messengers shows up. He sends an angel or whatever to, de- to deliver divine revelation to someone. How many times when those things happen, is it something that you would choose? 
that you would want to happen or to have that news? I mean, think about it. Noah. God shows up to Noah and warns him a flood is coming. Well, that's not so bad. All right, good to know. Thanks for the heads up. And also, you get the job of saving the world by building a boat for over 100 years. And while you do it, everyone is going to laugh at you every single day. Or think about Abraham. I'm going to bless you so that you in turn can bless others. Okay, that sounds pretty cool. But you're going to have to move. Okay, where to? Don't worry about it. I'll show you. Just get ready to leave. Or think about Moses. I've heard my people's cries. Great. It's about time someone did and did something about it. Yeah, on that note, I'm sending you to deliver them out of Egypt. Mm. Or David. Your family will always be king. Slay. That sounds awesome. Uh, But your story is not going to end so well. Mm. And then, of course, Mary. You're going to give birth and mother the divine son. Great David's greater son. And he will reign forever. And for the first time, I think, in the history of God's divine revelation, someone responds accordingly and is like, what? (laughs) Really? That's what's going to happen? I mean, listen again to what Mary says in verse 29. She was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of of greeting this may be. You see, I think Mary was a smart lady. She knew how all this divine annunciation and divine revelation worked, how it goes. And as Erickson points out in his book, that divine revelation always comes at a cost. Everything you plan for is over. And as he says, everything will change, most of all, you. And maybe you want things to change. As you reach the end of this year and prepare for a new year, maybe you want things to change. Some of you do. I know some of you don't. But the rub is when God shows up to let us know the plan, it's never according to our emotional programs for happiness that we want him to guarantee for us. Better relationships, thinner waistline, stronger finances, different job, greater comforts, less anxiety. This revelation is of a transformation that we are never in charge of. Which is why Mary's response is so incredible. That at the end of this divine annunciation, Mary says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Open and surrender. How do I open and surrender my heart, my will, my ego to what God is at work in and through me? How do I open and surrender to God as He is? Not how I want Him to be, not how I think he should be, not what I want him to do for me, but as he is. That's the challenge. And everything going on in your life and everything going on in your loved one's lives and everything going on in the world 
around us. Can you open and surrender to God's action in and through you and let it be according to his word? A friend of mine shared something with me this week that on Wednesday of this past week, the Reverend Professor Mitri Raheb, a Lutheran pastor and professor in Bethlehem, and the Archbishop of Jerusalem, and forgive me that I'm going to butcher pronunciation of his name, the Theodosios Hana, these are both Palestinians, held an online event to discuss why Palestinian Christians will not be celebrating Christmas this year. In solidarity with those in Gaza suffering under violence and bloodshed. Christmas is canceled was the name of this discussion that they held online this week. You know, Bethlehem's economy is primarily tourism. And this is normally peak season for them as Christians make pilgrimage from all over the world to go to the church of the nativity at Christmas time. Now, I'm certain... That's all shut down this year, I would guess. But nevertheless, these Christian leaders spoke out that even to celebrate Christmas this year would be inappropriate given the current situation. Now, my friend, who I don't think would identify as a Christian, shared this with me because they too struggle with how can we celebrate Christmas? How can we celebrate the journey of Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem where the birth of a baby boy changed the course of history when so many lives of children are being cut short very near there today? When so many mothers in that place today are giving birth to children directly into imminent danger, when mothers are actually losing children to miscarriage from the extreme stress that they live under. Now, this is a hard question to be asked the week of Christmas. And I respect my friend's courage and compassion for asking it, even if I wish they hadn't. (laughs) Even if it's hard for us to consider today. Now, I cannot speak to the politics involved in Palestine. I can't. I'm not equipped. And I'm not going to today. But I can say that regardless of the politics, I hope that we can certainly agree that the violence and loss of innocent lives on both sides of the conflict is something we as Christians can and should lament and grieve together. And I can certainly understand why Palestinian Christians today would want to cancel Christmas this year. Actually, when I think about it, let's be honest, I can't really understand why they would want to cancel Christmas. Christmas this year because I am not a Palestinian and I have never in my life had to live daily under the threat of being blown to pieces. And as much as we perhaps would like to not think about it, as much as you probably showed up today and didn't think this was the sermon you were going to hear today, I do think it's a question worth our consideration. How can we celebrate Christmas given all that is happening all over the world and not just in Gaza, but of course in the Ukraine and so many other places of conflict and tragedy today. I think it's a fair question that my friend asked me. How can we go on making our money, spending our money on gifts and food and trips, comforts and distractions when so many children are being killed 
in places like Bethlehem today. And so I would like to offer an answer this morning. Because I do think that there is something powerful in Mary's choice to open and surrender to this journey, to this transformation that God called her to, and the brokenness, pain, and suffering that we each carry, both for ourselves and for our world at large. My answer is that we should celebrate Christmas. So good news, Pastor Brian is not canceling Christmas this year. We should celebrate Christmas, but not the celebration of Christmas as consumer capitalism, mind you, and not the Hallmark Christmas movie that we want, that my mom has been watching since before Thanksgiving. We should celebrate the Christmas that we actually got. Because it's the Christmas we actually need. Because it's the Christmas that actually matters to this broken world waiting this Advent season for its final redemption. It's the Christmas of a God who took on flesh and dwelt among us. And that first Christmas was not quaint. It was not cute. Despite how adorable the Christmas pageant was last week. Mary and Joseph traveled 90 miles by foot. Now, the Bible doesn't actually say that Mary got to at least ride on the back of the cutest little donkey you ever saw while she was great with child. It actually never says that, even though all our Christmas cards portray her sitting on top of a donkey. Most likely, she too, great with child, traveled 90 miles by foot. And they did so because they live under Roman occupation. The Roman Empire wanted to know, via census, how much money to take from them and how many of their young men to take from them for their armies. And that's why they traveled to Bethlehem. This is Rome flexing its muscle. This is not Rome taking a census to expand social services for Mary and Joseph. And the holy couple make this journey, I would think, certainly under marital tension. Joseph knows this baby is not his. And even though Joseph receives his own divine revelation regarding this child, I guess that might not have removed all doubt for the guy. And then Mary delivers this child in a barn. There's no hospital. There's no doula for a natural home birth in the comfort of your bathtub. It wasn't quaint and idyllic. No woman, and I'm not a woman, but I think I can speak for every woman in the first century, did not want to give birth in a barn. It was bloody and messy and where animals were kept. And not long after, a mad king slaughters out of bloodthirsty paranoia innocent boys in order to protect his throne from this alleged prophesied king born in Bethlehem. And so Joseph, Mary, and the baby Jesus become refugees, fleeing to a foreign country to escape violence. And there they have to endure all that it means to be a young family living far away from their homes while devastated by all that their loved ones are having to endure back home while they desperately themselves seek safety. 
Friends, that is the first Christmas. It's not the Christmas anybody wanted, but it's the Christmas we got. Because it's the Christmas we need. Because it's the Christmas that says we worship a God born in a manger in Bethlehem who entered into all this mess. Because he cares about all that is broken and sad and evil and destructive way more than we do. Gabriel shows up and delivers news of transformation that we are not in charge of. And Mary knows what this means. She knows that she doesn't get to decide how her wedding is going to go. She doesn't get to decide how her community is going to think about her or her life choices. She doesn't even get to decide the name of her firstborn child. She doesn't get to decide where she's going to live. She doesn't get to decide how her child's life is going to turn out. Mary is going to join the long list of brokenhearted moms who lost children way too early. Mary is going to stand there and witness it. And yet she says, let it be to me according to your word. God's blessing and God's favor came to Mary because she believed and she trusted the voice of of love that spoke to her, promising God's king, promising that his reign would come through her service to care for the Son of God and get him ready to go out into this world. This is why God picked Mary, to raise his son. So that years later, when Jesus kneels alone in a garden and there are no angels heralding who he is, There are no friends to count on. There's no more mom to bring him home and take care of him. No more favor of God resting upon him. Only darkness and the cup of God's wrath to drink. The price to pay for God's love to come back to you and to me. Jesus will look up into heaven and he will pray. Behold. I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. We celebrate Christmas. Our hope and our consolation, which is not the presents, it's not the food, it's not the trips, it's not the comforts, it's not the distractions. Because born to us this day in the city of David, in Bethlehem, is our Savior, who is Christ the Lord. That's the Christmas we got. Because that's the Christmas we need. So let it be unto us according to His Word. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.